Hello, listeners, and welcome to the lockdown series of the British Academy of Jewelry podcast. I'm Sophie Boons, and today I have invited another guest to join me in a remote discussion on how we can navigate the new reality we have now been facing for just over a month. After government guidance for most retail shops to close, the way we have been selling jewelry to customers for centuries has suddenly become unavailable. I therefore have invited Imogen Belfield, a young jewelry designer, maker and educator, to reflect on this challenge. Welcome, Imogen. Hi, Sophie. It's great to be here. Okay, Imogen. So to start, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I, I set up my company in 2010. My background really is in fine art and sculpture. It's really the influence was huge down in Cornwall in Falmouth, the very kind of rocky coastal landscapes. And that's manifested itself into my jewellery work. And I, since launching my brand in 2010, I've worked with retailers all over the world, including Harrods, Harvey Nichols, in the USA, uh, Reinhold, some department stores in New York, Middle East and the Far East. And my jewellery ranges from fashion jewellery through to fine, uh, with, with a quite a wide price point. And as well as that, we do a lot of commissions and bespoke pieces and collaborations. We've also worked with a lot of PR. And so we have had the opportunity to work with a number of celebrities and styling for shoots, as well as for music videos. We did a very cool music video for Duran Duran, and it was the film was called Girl Panic. And they worked with five of the top supermodels, including Cindy Crawford, Helena Christensen, uh, Yasmin Lebon, Naomi Campbell, and Eva Herzegova. And each of those models represented one of the members from Duran Duran. And it was shot at the Savoy Hotel, and then we had a cover shoot with Harper's Bazaar and it was an amazing opportunity, but it was also a great way in which, you know, the jewellery could lend itself to that kind of performance arena and theatre in a way. It's been a very interesting, very colourful, multifaceted 10 years in business. And in the last year, I've been a freelance tutor with the British Academy of Jewellery. Wow, that sounds incredible. It's obvious you run a very successful jewellery brand. What made you decide to become a jeweller? And could you tell us what the journey was? I suppose it's sort of evolved organically um, in that I always loved working three-dimensionally. But when I, when I went to um, art college down in Falmouth, I realised that I was also interested in the commercial side and the business side of art and design and that's where I kind of gravitated towards jewellery because I saw from quite a realistic perspective at that point I would say less a less saturated and less competitive industry than say fine art or sculpture. I, I went to London I did a degree in jewellery during that time um, I worked for a store on Mount Street it was called the Metal Gallery, and that gave me a great insight into retail, what customers wanted, what they didn't want, how designers and makers branded their work and priced their work, how they communicated that to the end customer. So it really helped actually getting that insight parallel to being in education because it meant through my degree, through the whole time that I was making and developing my designs and my 
voice, so to speak, I always had my feet on the ground in terms of, okay, what's going to, is this going to make money? Is there a kind of commercial viability to this product that I'm creating? And then I, I got a, some fantastic experience with Sean Lean and helped the team create the, some pieces for Alexander McQueen, um, as well as the golden glove that Sean designed for Daphne Guinness. Um, so that gave me very practical kind of hands-on experience. So it wasn't just a simple case of going to university. It was actually absorbing like a sponge and literally being in London and taking every opportunity that was available to me um, and realizing that at the end of those three years, I was going to be on my own and it wasn't going to be easy. And so I wanted to give myself the best start. In terms of your brand and your artistic background, do you feel you've had to change it a lot in order to become commercial or do you feel that that challenge was actually a creative challenge that you were keen to to tackle i think at the beginning it's very important to stay true to your identity and actually not be too manipulated by the commercial arena because i think it's those kind of out there quite wacky hero pieces are the pieces that get you noticed. They might not be your bread and butter, but it's so important to have a strong identity and don't be fearful of that. I think then there comes a point where when you start looking at, okay, your business model and your business plan, that's when you can start developing the family that surrounds your hero piece, the pieces that kind of are influenced and inspired by those, your like core designs but perhaps they are, there's less gold or there's the weight of the material is less or you're working with different gemstones and actually what the, the market itself demands. To a degree, I think over time you can evolve your designs to being more commercial, but I don't think it's necessarily the most important thing, certainly not when you begin, because actually when you start to become known for your style and what you do, people will buy into that, whatever the price point, you know, that because they'll see that as an appeal in terms of it being completely either one-off or a standout design or just something that's completely appealing to them. And then I think later down the line, you can look at doing diffusion lines or small capsule collections, which then can separate themselves without um, diluting or competing with your core brand and your core collection so there there are multiple ways with which you can say become a more commercial designer without conflicting with your with your core collection and your core brand and your core designs so it's fair to say that being unique and offering something new to the market is still an important factor Absolutely. And I think 10 years ago, the industry was so different. Now it is such a saturated market. There are so many jewelers out there. So it is even more important to stand out and be different. And you want to constantly strive to be unique and different and have a unique selling proposition to your product because everybody else wants a little piece of that pie. You use your creativity. Your creativity is completely unique to you and it will be your greatest strength. So you've been selling your jewelry for many years. Which platforms do you use? How do you reach your customer? 
So I, I do a number of things. I do trade shows. I do trade shows in the UK and internationally. Um, I also sell through my own online store and I sell through larger marketplaces such as Farfetch and not just a label. Um, I work with retailers all over the world. I do uh, pop-up shops and also collaborations. Collaborations are a great way of gaining exposure in a, in a much wider field. Um, depending on the brand that you collaborate with, it means that you can almost, you can benefit from their marketing budget and from perhaps their already prestigious place in the market. Um, so it can really help to widen your exposure. That's a good tip in terms of if you're looking to grow and expand your presence within the market, looking to do collaborations with other companies is a really good way of doing that. But yeah, it's, it's been a, quite a new thing for me to, to sell directly through my store. And it does take a lot of work. We're very lucky now in that we've got all of these amazing social media platforms, which means, you know, you can almost market yourself for free these days. So definitely take that opportunity and make the most of it. You can sync your Instagram and your Facebook profiles with your online store. So again, that all helps. And then we do newsletters at least once a month. And now it's obviously it's a very sensitive time because you don't want to be doing the hard sell because you have really have to take into consideration people's emotional state of mind. So much sadness in the world at the moment and a lot of people going through a really, really tough time. So it's really being sensitive to that and not necessarily always sending out ways with which to sell a product. This is how we're adapting. This is how you clean your jewellery at home. This is how we've set up at home. This is how we've managed to, you know, create almost like a little microcosm within our own independent situations. People and your customer will be very interested to see that and also to see behind the scenes um, perhaps show them how you make your products. Not everything, it's quite good to keep something back. Certainly, if you've got any secret processes, don't give anything away. And the other thing I would say is, yeah, almost communicate with them in a conversational manner at times like this. But yeah, I would say always be aware of what's going on globally so that you hit the right tone when reaching out to your customers. You have an impressive website and online shop. What made you decide to open it? Because that isn't something that happened during this time. You've done it before. And does it work for your brand? Yeah, so I, I launched the online store. I first launched it about four years ago, but very kind of tentatively and didn't really push it. And actually four years ago, I would say, the other social media platforms didn't have the same integration with online sh shopping. So it was harder, a lot harder to make sales. It has grown. Um, our sales turnover through the online store has grown in the last year to a year and a half. Um, it, I would say, yes, it does work for my brand. I think it is always good to be aware of how you do promote your products online um, and also which platforms you use to sell them. Obviously you've got, other platforms like Etsy, you've got dropship platforms. Less is more. Don't try and be on all of them, especially dependent on your product and your customer. 
Um, some platforms will devalue your product. So have a look at who else is selling on there, what their price point is, what their product is. Where do you align yourself? Who do you align yourself with? Those are really important questions to ask yourself. We found that by selling online, we make more bespoke orders online than we do direct sales in that it's almost a gallery. People, potential customers will look at it and see pieces they like, approach us, and then we'll end up making something perhaps based on something they've seen online, but adapting it and customizing it to their individual needs. Um, so don't be disheartened if you don't get a lot of sales straight away. You've, you know, again, there's a lot of competition out there. Something to be aware of are your SEOs in terms of really trying to promote yourself up the search engine list. You can look at if you've got budget for marketing, you can do sponsored posts relatively cheaply. I mean, all budget dependent, you can spend a lot of money, obviously, but there are ways with which you can really get your work out there um, on a shoestring budget. And I think one of the best ways at the moment is probably integrating with Instagram and with your Facebook accounts and continuing to communicate through MailChimp newsletters. So we're all in lockdown. Many of us don't have access to a jewelry bench to make, but starting a new online shop or at least doing the research for starting a shop can be done anywhere. Do you have any further tips, you know, if you have some stock, how do you get started? I think the, the first thing to do is, yeah, have a look at what your range of products are. Do you have products ready to sell is the first question. If you do, iPhones or your, your mobile phones now have such good cameras. You don't need to have huge budgets to, to have them professionally photographed. And of course, that's not even possible at the moment because you won't find the photographer. See what you can do in-house. Um, if you're not sure of your photography skills, send them to a friend or send them to someone that you trust in terms of getting some feedback. Um, imagery online is so crucial because jewelry is such a tactile product. People want to be able to feel it and almost, you know, it to represent tangibly through the screen. So that is really one of the most important things to selling online is the visual um, imagery. So see if you can get that locked down. Uh, sorry, no pun intended. Um, and then the other, the other aspect is your price point. It's very important at this point to have price parity. And by that, I mean, you may at some stage, if you're not already, be selling through retailers, which means you'll be selling probably your product at wholesale to them. Now, if you start selling through your online shop, you'll obviously be selling retail direct to your customer. So your profit margin is so much better, which is a positive. But don't be tempted to bring your price point down too much because your retailers will be quite unhappy. Um, it's very important that you keep everything on a, on a level field um, in terms of price points so that you're never in competition with your retailer. Um, you want to keep those relationships really strong. There's nothing to stop you from having, uh, say, flash sales. Um, but again, be careful that this doesn't devalue your brand. And also customers, if they really want to buy into your product, they'll buy into it at full price. Um, if you have too many sales, they'll only ever wait till you have the sale. 
um, and it, it really will undermine your whole kind of branding and the profile of your business. Are there any sort of major do's and don'ts when you actually run an online shop yourself? When you're running your own online shop, one of the most important things is to um, under-promise, over-deliver. So we actually don't hold too much stock. And I would say at the beginning, that's not a bad idea because you really want to get a feel for which of the pieces people are most interested in. You should be able to see activity. It's called the back end. So on your, say it's Shopify or whichever platform you're using, you'll be able to see, okay, how many times has this been added to the basket or to people's wish list? Even if they're not buying it, it'll give you some kind of idea before you start investing too much in stock. And then you might be laden with that. And that's a huge outlay. So we, what we do is we usually say a two to four week lead time, which sounds like a lot. And yes, that probably does put a fair few people off, but we do also have about 20 products which are next day delivery and they're all pieces under 150 pounds. They're all in silver or gold plated silver. We don't hold any solid gold in stock and we find that with our customers, they tend to understand that unless it's that they've got a birthday or an anniversary imminently then yeah, they're not going to, they'll probably find someone else to go to, but they'll, they'll still have your product in their kind of, in their eyesight. And they more often than not are happy to wait. Usually what then happens is because you've got, it opens up that conversation because you'll get an email from them saying, oh, I, I see that it takes two weeks to deliver. Can you make it any sooner than that? And actually, do you mind if I, what would be the price if we had white diamonds instead of black diamonds or this and that? So it can actually be to your benefit where rather than a customer just clicking to basket to check out, you're suddenly, you start to have this relationship that can then lead on to future orders and future sales. So I think it's always having your mind open to future opportunities with any interaction you have with your customers online. Do you think people should pay attention to the way they package and send and any pitfalls there? Yes, I, I think packaging is really important. Um, a really good case study to look at for this would be Jo Malone. Her packaging was almost as important as the perfume that people were buying and their boxes that people keep because they're really good quality, they look beautiful. And how amazing if, if that was the same for you and for your brand. Someone goes around to their house and they see your, your name on this beautiful box and then that sparks a kind of interest or an intrigue and they go to your website and then, you know, so I think packaging is absolutely paramount. And I would say alongside that branding, don't worry too much if your logo or your branding name changes over time. Don't think that oh, you know, this is, this is how it has to be now for the rest of time. Um, big brands change their logos, even if it's just slightly over time. It, it's a natural thing. So just pick or go with something that you feel is true to you and true to your brand identity. But don't worry, it doesn't have to be set in stone. It can evolve over time. I think the most important thing is to have your brand on a box and then it ought to be... Um, packed and wrapped really beautifully I, as well as that I always put um, a handwritten note 
signed. You can do a separate signature to your or your confidential stuff, you know, just to keep things really secure. But it just it's a really nice touch. And people really do appreciate um, you going to that effort, especially, you know, it goes back to things being handmade, the sustainability aspect, the very personal approach, designer to customer. And it does feel like within this, this ever changing, growing market, that is, people are reverting back to that more and more. They want to own less, but by quality and by individuality and potentially you know future heirlooms or investment pieces so if you can tie that all together with a really nice packaged piece with a really nice note or something personal then that's really good too Um, another thing i do is i keep a database so with any commissions or anniversaries or birthdays that i know um, are coming up i have them all in um, a spreadsheet for past customers so I can send them like a little email or a little newsletter with, with whether it's like a little promo code or just a hi, um, wishing you a very happy anniversary. It's a really nice touch for someone who's invested in you and in your product. I think, again, it kind of helps keeping those um, communication lines open as well. Imogen, how do you collect this data from your customers? Is there any pitfalls with GDPR? Yeah, so with us, we, through Shopify, so that's the platform I use for my online shop, um, it's really down to the customer how much information they want to give us. And we wouldn't ever breach that or kind of violate their trust or, or try and extract information that they didn't want. So it's really, there's a, um, a form as you go onto our website, you choose whether you want to or whether you don't want to sign up. And then there's a box that you can tick if you wish to be a member or be um, on the mailing list. But it's usually with the, with the bespoke pieces, especially because it's for a specific date and you're often working for that date or say a month in advance of that date. You create quite personal relationships because you're creating something incredibly personal to them. So you'll inevitably find out a lot about them. And it's not about, you know, it's not about being a creepy detective. It's, um, it's about really building up your data and to better your business um, in the future. When you start an online shop, I guess it is important to check with regulations that you need to be aware of and perhaps also check with brands that you know and how they handle these things as well because then you can ma- navigate that yourself much easier and make sure you're compliant okay um when we return to work and our daily lives as jewelers what does it take to maintain a successful online shop is it a full-time job do you manage it yourself do you have others helping you and how has this evolved in the last four years for your brand four years ago it was just me but i had a team of kind of freelancers and i outsource a lot of production and then that's evolved now to having one full time, but again, mainly freelancers. So working with our local makers and craftspeople within the industry. So everything is local, which also means in terms of quality and production, it's very hands-on and anything can be changed or adjusted very, very quickly. 
So I think going forward, that is the way that we'd, we'd want to continue to work. There's a lot that we're going to learn about what's ha um, happened and is happening um, at the moment. And I think it's, it's going to make us all kind of sit up and take notice of how we run our businesses and how we need to, in the future, be very adaptable to change quickly. And as small businesses, we are the best at doing that. So again, it's kind of taking what is a, a very negative situation and turning it into a positive and into an opportunity for you. I personally don't think that this is the last time this is going to happen. I think we have to prepare for the fact that this may be a pattern of events that's likely to occur later down the line. So sees this as a kind of challenge, but an opportunity to really put into place a strong infrastructure for your business so that if it happens again it it's not going to fail if anything it's going to benefit or it's going to it's going to maintain its success or it's going to grow and flourish i think being a small business isn't isn't a bad thing it's a very good thing um certainly at the moment has there been a significant change in the products that people at this time of the year would normally buy from you and that you have available still? People do tend to gravitate towards jewellery at a time of crisis. People see it as an investment, whether it's because they're buying into precious metal or because they see it as a piece that they will have forever or pass on to other members of their family. So actually, it's been really busy. Our biggest impact has been the wedding industry so where we had um a, usually this time of year is our busiest time of year um that isn't the case so that has had a huge impact but the online sales and the interaction direct with customer has still been really strong and also at, at the end of the day the, the customers that we have for upcoming bespoke projects they're not going away they're not going anywhere it's just that it's, you know, it's not going to happen right now. And of course, their priorities change and they, they would have been impacted in their own way as well. So that's taken quite a hit, um, as I think is the case probably across the whole playing field. Do you think our experience in lockdown will spark a change in the entire luxury retail industry or environment? I think it's bound to have a long term effect. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with retail moving forward. I know that there has been a, a peak in online sales for jewellery during this time. I think probably in online sales in general, people are really going to perhaps look at how they run their businesses. And I think as well, not necessarily just in the jewellery industry, but people as a whole will look at how much office space they need. Actually, more and more people can work from home, more people can work remotely. With jewellery, obviously, we've got a reliance upon an, an element of production, whether it's if you do a lot of casting or if there's plating involved. So we'll always need to outsource, and there's a, there's a limit to how much we could do in-house as such. Again, take it as an opportunity to really target your customers directly through your own online platforms because retailers' budgets are going to be massively affected, meaning that they're not going to be investing in the same way at wholesale levels with brands, certainly not with new designers. 
they'll play safe I think I think they'll stick to the brands that they know and that have already a historical sales pattern they'll, they won't be taking as many risks with new brands um, so yeah you might see that the way in which you know London especially was always seen as being very cutting edge and you had and you, you know you've got these amazing stores like Dover Street Market um, and Brown's Fashion which really promote new exciting upcoming designers but it'll be interesting to see actually the knock-on effect to even iconic stores like those and also because of the the younger brands themselves you know have they been hit financially have they had investment or did they need investment or did they get the financial underpinning that they needed and have they survived at the end of it so it's going to be i'm hoping that it's you know designers and stores out there that people can survive this because it'll be a very beige world out there if, if there isn't that exciting creative epicenter in london as there has been yes because of course when we're talking about jewelry there is still also a real beauty of going to a shop and actually touching and seeing and feeling the work in your hands. Would you agree with that? And is that something you feel customers have told you? Is that why you still do trade shows and you know have online retail as well as physical retail stores selling your work? Yes, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for the tactility. And um, there's definitely still a desire for that. And, you know, it's very important. But I think more and more people will to almost have the, enough faith or belief in a product or, or a brand to click the button to buy if they've never laid eyes or felt it before. As well, I think it's why if you're starting to sell online for the first time, it's good to have a lower price point option so that for buyers that are a bit more tentative or it's the first time they've bought something from you it's almost like dipping their toe in and they can buy something and if they're they're happy with that then they're more likely to come back and spend something for the next tier up price point wise when i say lower price point i mean that can be anything for fine jewelry it'd be anything under 500 pounds but for fashion jewelry it could be something under 150 pounds so that's something to think about. Trade shows are obviously great in terms of connecting directly with your wholesaler. And as well, pop-up events are fantastic for connecting with your customer. I think those things will always have a value, but I think it's making your online presence as strong as possible so that, you know, either if you don't have the budget to do trade shows or pop-up events, you can make sales online but also adapting to the customer's buying pattern and how they spend money. Obviously, the Far East and China are so much ahead of us in terms of how they shop, and they are so savvy. And I think we're gradually catching up to that. I think we'll always be different because culturally, our spending patterns and behaviours are different. But I think with everything that's going on, people are realising the kind of the enjoyment of not having to go to the shops and not having to deal with crowds of people and still being able to purchase what they want from the comfort of their home. It's almost playing to that a little bit as well. In terms of 
refund policies. So, you know, big labels have the opportunity to have a really flexible refund policy. This is something that I, I guess a lot of people would be scared by, to have a lot of things come back to you when people might have worn them for a night and then returned them. What's your take on this? What's your experience been with returns? First of all, I would make sure that you've got really strong terms and conditions on your website. And these, these have to be, you know, they're legal. By, by law, you should have them. Um, you can find these sort of templates online that kind of give you the gist. You shouldn't need to spend a lot on legal fees to get them to get these written up. You should be able to find what you need online and just adapt what you need to you personally. Um, but in that, be sure about what your returns policy is. By law, for example, earrings cannot be returned for hygiene reasons, obviously, unless they're faulty. We don't have a returns policy and that's because everything is pretty much made by hand. We tell our customers outright, there are zero returns. If a customer comes back and for example, if the plating starts to wear off, we do tell our customers beforehand, this is not a solid, uh, this is not permanent, it will wear, this is how you protect. We have a care guide which we send out, um, which says the do's and don'ts to certain types of jewelry, whether it's pieces have stones in them, don't do the gardening, for example, in your, in your diamond ring or do the washing up, take it off beforehand. If customers come back and, and say the plating is worn, if it's after a week, then obviously we'll be like, look, ship it back to us and we'll, look, this, this is a fault on our side. But if it's after three years, then we'll say, you know, we'll do this for you at this cost. And again, that's also on our website. And again, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing either because then you're reconnecting with a, an existing customer. I guess your online store has to showcase the story of who you are as a brand and how things are made to communicate and underpin that narrative and the reason why you sell in a certain way. Is that true? Yes, definitely. And that can also be backed up by your social media. So maybe it's having some videos of behind the scenes. It could be in the forge. It could be on your Instagram stories. So it's all very, very clearly described and, and communicated to your customer. So you are in lockdown also, Imogen. You've told me that you've been very busy. Can you tell us what you have been working on to, to keep busy? Yes. Well, for a number of customers bespoke pieces, I've been working on the design phase for them. So I've basically been doing as much as I can do from my little office space at home. Anything that doesn't require heat or a torch or a flame <laughs> for fear of setting a light to the house. Um, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of drawings and model making really. Just taking the best out of a bad situation. And with clients, you know, sadly for a lot of them, their weddings or various celebratory occasions have been cancelled. So it's actually given us more time to, to have fun with the creative side, whether it's for their projects or for my own. I've also been wanting to launch a new collection for a long time. And I just have not had the time to sit down and put pen to paper. So 
this is my time. I mean, if it's not this, I may as well write a book or something. So, Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing the next collection. Thank you. I think it's fair to say that opening an online shop or starting to think about selling online isn't something you get completely right overnight. But there's a lot of information online and in books and with the podcast today, there's a lot to think about. So starting with the planning is certainly something that people can can do from home from today. So maybe some of you listening feel the itch to start the process. Perhaps now, whilst we're all experimenting and trying new things, uh, and if you have some stock to sell, it's the ideal time to try because perhaps the audience will be more forgiving. Would you agree, Imogen? Yes, yes. And uh, actually, you know, relieved if you can, because I think for them, perhaps their go-to places are either completely overwhelmed with orders and can't meet demand or just not uh, delivering at all. So yeah, maybe you can bridge that gap for them and you can you know, open up that uh, gateway of communication with new customers. Take it as an opportunity. Well, if any of the listeners end up starting something, do please let us know. But for now, I'd like to thank you very much, Imogen, for joining me to brainstorm on the topic. Uh, very grateful for your time and insights. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck and stay safe in lockdown, Imogen. Next week, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. For now, this was Sophie Boons for the lockdown series of the BAJ podcast titled The Era of Online Sales. In conversation with Imogen Belfield, I wish you a good weekend and thank you for listening.